With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Join Fairway in bringing joy to families this holiday season with Toys for Tots. This week, USDA Choice T-Bone Steaks are just $5.99 a pound. Fairway Pasta is only $0.68. Cents. Black Label Sliced Bacon is just $2.99 with your coupon. Cuties Mandarins are only $4.88. Natural Boneless Chicken Breast is just $1.69 a pound. Be sure to check out our special Coming Home for the Holidays section in this week's ad. HN Podcast. I am John Miller, and joining me today on one of these finale episodes is Jason Miller, who is also my brother. And uh, Jason and I have been talking about doing a podcast episode together for a long time, and we were planning on doing one before this uh, month got away from me. And the passing of Hayden Fry seemed like the perfect time for Jason and I to come on here and uh, wax a little poetic, especially considering that, you know, my formative fan years uh, aligned with Jason's life. We were both raised in the same house with the same parents, moved to West Branch, Iowa in the spring of 1979 from, uh, we were both born in Perry. Then we lived in Guthrie Center for a brief period, moved to Northwest Missouri for about six months in late 78. And then the spring of 79, we moved to to West Branch. And Jason, I don't know if you have any recollections of the Iowa Hawkeyes prior to 1979 and our moving to West Branch. I do not. In simple terms, no, I, I don't. All I knew was the state of Iowa. That was about it, John. Yeah, I, I had I, – I just – I had recollections of the Dallas Cowboys and Roger Staubach before then, but, but not the Iowa Hawkeyes. So, you know, we get to West Branch in 1979 again, the same year that Hayden Fry uh, took the field at Kinnick Stadium in his first year as head coach of Iowa. I don't recall too much about the 79 season, not going to lie to you about that. And I don't really recall too much about 1980. And in 1980, I would have been nine years old. You'd have been seven years old. But 1981 – is when everything changed. Everything changed in 1981 relative to my awareness of the Hawkeyes, my awareness of college sports. Um, Everything changed for Iowa fans all across the state and all across the country because that was the year that Iowa won the Big Ten, that Iowa, you know, beat Michigan and beat Nebraska and, and was waking up this fan base that had been very loyal, but didn't have a lot to be loyal about. And it was Christmas season in 1970 or 1981 rather. And the Miller family didn't have a lot of money, but that Christmas, Jay, I remember that was the first of many Hawkeye Christmases. I remember a trash can that that had the tiger Hawk on it and a Rose Bowl emblem on it. I remember buttons. I remember the first of many windbreakers many black and gold windbreakers we would go through. And I remember going back to school that after Christmas break and pretty much everybody we knew 
had a black and gold windbreaker. Their parents apparently took, you know, did their Christmas shopping uh, at Paul's discount there over in Iowa City the same way that ours did. I mean, it was that was really the explosion that I recall. Well, I mean, when you live 10 minutes away, like we did, it made it, I mean, it made it a lot easier for us to get into the fabric of our being to be Iowa fans, being that close. But then, of course, having, I guess, sort of an ownership with that 10-mile distance, John, I and mean, we could just feel it. And you could feel a change. You could feel a difference. You could, well, we were little, but you could see how everybody began to have an Iowa jacket or a hat or a stocking hat in the winter, as it were, at that time. And, of course, I think you toque. had a toque. A toque, yes, toque. You had a jacket, and, of course, I tried to wear it all the time, uh, much to your chagrin, and you wouldn't let me, but everybody had something then. It wasn't it, – Iowa just wasn't – if you look back on it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I don't know as big of a deal. For I don't want to sound insensitive to be an Iowa fan. Hayden Fry made it cool, I think, a little bit more cool and more – just personal to be an Iowa fan because of that season. He changed the mentality. There's no question. I've been reading a lot of articles the last, you know, 12 hours or so, as I'm sure you have from people like Mike Halas who were around Hayden a lot more than I was and, and people who talked about how Hayden came in and totally changed that mentality. I mean, I remember the stories, um, uh, from Hayden's first couple of years, how they how they played a couple of really good teams close. And, you know, some fans were excited about that, you know, celebrating moral victories, and Hayden didn't want any part of that. And that's, you know, there was 19 consecutive non-winning seasons prior to Hayden Fry's arrival at Iowa. And the one of the first things he did when he got there is he changed the look. He adopted the colors and the uniform design of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who at that time I absolutely hated because I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. And, and, you know, in the grade school playgrounds, then it was always Cowboys against Steelers, Staubach against Bradshaw. But he adopted the colors of a winner of the most successful NFL franchise at that point in time. And then he commissioned uh, an, an artist to come up with a logo. And the Tiger Hawk adorned Iowa's helmets in that first year in 1979. Then it still does to this day with, you know, one uh, failed attempt at a uh, a redesign with the Crackhawk, but it, it's still that iconic look. He changed he changed the look, he changed people's mental outlook, and then '81 came along, and to get people to believe, you have to provide something tangible, something people can see, taste, feel, or touch, and experience. And, and that tangible, and then it has to also be personal. Right. It has to be personal. And the love affair with the Hawkeyes became personal. So you had something that was tangible. You had something that was personal. And then that leads to belief and it leads to faith. And those things lead to a deepening of a relationship. And that's what we collectively, we in the state of Iowa, those of us that had proclivities either geographically or family members who'd gone to Iowa. That's what happened for us. We began to collectively believe and we began on a journey that nobody had any idea how amazing that journey would be. 
and well, think Hayden, about it like Hayden this Fry was the was the guy that he was the captain of the ship yeah you already made mention in one of your previous podcasts to you know meeting longtime defensive coordinator bill brazier at iowa a dad talked to him at marv cook's graduation ceremony yeah. here in west branch but and the funny thing is that is what a lot of people might not know is what's the connection between he and hayden fry they grew up in the same little town they were born what four months apart delivered by the same doctor and then they I, have, I, we, yeah you're telling me something i either have forgotten or did not have never what heard. a what a great i mean that's a story within a story alone but then look at it like this is that the day that hayden fry was was interviewed at iowa bill brazier took on looked at pictures he said he could see a pictures in paper a newspaper there's an interview with him and he says look at the iowa was getting blown out by 40 what happened in that game and coach fry said iowa lost by 40 points and he goes but look at that crowd the stadium at kinnick was full and iowa was getting blown out so he said just think of what they're going to do when we win football games and there's your tangible there's your feeling now i said something earlier about that he made it cool and made it more you know it became more popular but it was always popular it just now had just a different layer john yeah you know you're you're right about this and the things with hayden fry i mean obviously what what we know of him what we experienced of him was just a it was a significant portion of his life but the man is like forrest gump the man is uh <laughs> he, he he was a legend um and his legend will carry on after his death but you know whether or not the story was true one of my favorite hayden fry stories and, and we'll bring it back here more you know localize it here a little bit more but just the the, the legend that hayden fry would spin that in 1963 while he was head coach of smu southern methodist university and they and their their mascot was the mustang fry insisted that then ford chairman lee iacocca came into the locker room after um smu played uh against michigan in ann arbor and said that he quote made a big decision in the stands today that Ford was going to name their new sports car the Ford Mustang in honor of the way that SMU played their games and that he sold Hayden Fry the first Mustang for just one dollar that was painted in SMU's colors of red and blue and that's Hayden telling the story now I don't know if it's true or not and I don't even really care no don't care the man was one of the greatest storytellers about of all time I mean one of the most famous ones that I watched today and was reminded of was before an Iowa-Michigan game back in the 80s, Hayden Fry had his guards for a little bit doing the long snapping to the punters, and the balls were sailing over their heads. They weren't. They were <laughs> skipping back to the punters, and, and Bo Schembechler walks over and said, Hayden, you're not going to send those guys out to, to, to snap the ball to the punter, are you? And Hayden said, Bo, we don't plan on punting today, and he just walked off. I mean – it's just the man was that, larger than life. Was that the same game where they talked about the pink walls? Bo Schempler, Sean Beckler's first experience with the pink walls. And Coach Fry always said that he knew when he talked to a coach before a game and they mentioned the pink walls, we got him. We got him. <laughs> 
You got him. <laughs> and in later years, when Shem Beckler would return to Iowa, he would uh, bring butcher block paper and have the managers tape it up against uh, on the wall to cover up all the pink. I mean, just 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 an amazing and an amazing guy. And um, you know, I was thinking about this today, Jason, and right before you and I came on the air, it, it really dawned on me, and I mean this with all sincerity. If Hayden Fry had not come to Iowa and done what he did, I don't think, well, no, I know for a fact, I would not be doing today what it is that I'm doing. And I'm not talking about just with Hawkeye Nation. Hawkeye Nation would not have existed. I would not have had that 1980s Iowa Hawkeye amazing fandom planted into me that Hayden Fry was really the the standard bearer of going from 19 consecutive non-winning seasons to in year three of the Fry tenure going to the Rose Bowl and from that point in time over the next seven or eight years you know there were two seasons with just one Big Ten loss there were four seasons with just two Big Ten losses there was no more than three Big Ten losses in any seasons. And then, of course, they lost five in 89. And then in 90, they were six and two. In 91, they were seven and one. And number one in the nation in 1985. Were it not for Fry coming to Iowa, Hawkeye Nation would never have existed. John Miller doing what he did the last 20 years would not have happened. Would not have happened. And the fact that when I returned to the energy industry in 2013, what has helped make me successful, which then led for me to have the opportunity or the courage or the skill to start my own energy company, which is why I'm ultimately leaving, um, you know, Hawkeye Nation and, and Hawkeye Twitter, at least Twitter for a season of life. Everything I learned how to do building brands, writing, website construction, I brought back with me to the energy industry. And that helped me be successful and give me the success that I needed to get everything else going for this business I have. Hayden Fry was not my coach. He never sat me down and, and specifically taught me any lessons mouth to mouth. But his coming to Iowa and having the success that he had in our proximity to Iowa when we grew up, if it weren't for Hayden Fry, I would not be where I am today. And I... I mean it, and I believe it. Well, I obviously wouldn't have had the opportunity to work alongside you and with Rob Howe and Brian Finley and others mm -hmm. doing this stuff that I've had the opportunity over the last, what, 19, 20 years to do and have some of the memories that you and I have together, but just memories of talking to this player and that player and that player and then watching their story develop while at Iowa and, and beyond. I wouldn't, we wouldn't have that, and I, I knew where you were going with that, and it, it makes perfect sense. And to think you talked, we talked about 1981 and how that season, I mean, that season was, it was, Iowa was, I don't want to call it lucky, but you know, by almost a flip of the coin, they got to go to the Rose bowl and that changed everything. But what three, they tied with what two other teams or with Ohio state rather Iowa finished with four losses that season. And because Ohio state was the most recent to go to the Rose bowl or more right. recently, Iowa got to go. It changed everything because we would never have got the fabulous friars to sing, bring it home the roses. <laughs> and then on the flip side, the song that people forget the Hawkeye hut hut, you know, yeah, I, I don't remember that. One. Iowa was six and two in the big <laughs> 10 that year. Um, they lost to Iowa state 
interestingly enough, in the non-conference, and they beat Nebraska 10-7, and, and, and that was a huge thing. And then they beat UCLA, and UCLA was a power at that time as well. They beat Michigan 9-7. Um, they, uh, they did. They, they, they tied for the, the Big Ten championship. And at that point in time, the rule was, you know, if there was a result of a tie, whichever team had the longest Rose Bowl drought would go. And yeah. you're right. It was that twist of, of fate and timing and fortune that sent Iowa, um, that sent Iowa to the to the Rose Bowl. And well, we won't talk about what happened in that game. It wasn't a great game, but they made it. Yeah, they they did. I mean, I still had. Yeah, they did, and you know that 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 opportunity that you and I had growing up, you know, eight ten miles away from Kinnick, um, our mom. She um, was and still is involved with a, a singing choir there in Iowa City, Sweet Adelines. And back when we were kids in the 80s, her chorus group, um, they manned a concession stand on the east side of Kinnick Stadium, concession stand M. They used letters back then. And I, I don't, did she ever take you with her? Oh, Over yeah. There? Okay. I, I remember one you time. You were older, so you were, I guess, legal to go. Well, I, I don't young. know. I, I don't I know if it was legal. <laughs> I mean, I, I know one year it was 1985 and I went with her and I was 14. I was 14 years old. So I went with her and we went early and I helped stuff some hot dogs and some buns and pack popcorn and bags and all this sort of stuff. So I did some work with them. But then once once everything, you know, kind of calmed down and I kept begging, hey, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? I didn't have a ticket. He said, sure, go. I'm 14 years old, and I have the run of Kinnick Stadium. And I took a lot of liberties. Uh, I explored the space. Um, after the games were over, I would go down underneath the, the, the stands in the southern end zone, which was temporary seating at that time. It was all made of you know metal piping and, and wooden bleachers. And I would go down under the stands and I would basically search for what a 14 year old boy who was crazy about the Hawkeyes uh, viewed as treasures. I would just pick up hundreds and hundreds of ticket stubs that people basically threw down on the ground and I took them all home dirty filled. I mean, I had those things in shoebox after shoebox for so many years. I, I threw them away at one point in time, who knows what type of bacteria was on them, but um, and, and then that in 1985, and I, I, after I'd get done going under the bleachers and just walking around, I just, you know, snuck my way down on the field. There just wasn't any security. So I went down there because there was this guy who had a, he had a sack full of footballs and he had a kicking tee and he was just kicking balls, kicking them towards the goalposts, trying to make field goals. And, you know, then I'd see that he'd go down and collect all the bags and he'd go back. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to go shag for this guy. So I walked down. I was catching the balls and I'd throw them back to the guy and, you know, he was thanking me and um, he's like, all right, I'm done. And he's like, Hey, you know, th thank, thanks for doing it. What's your name? I said, my name's John. And I'm like, what's your name? He's like, my name's Tom, Tom nickel. And that was Tom nickel in 1985, a guy who was still hustling, trying to keep, stay ready for a potential call to the NFL. He'd expired his eligibility. And that's just, that's the playground that we grew up in. That's what we experienced. Other kids just, I don't know. I would think that, and obviously security wasn't as tight maybe in 1985, of course it is in 2019, but I think, I would think that kids from many different fan bases around the country would have similar stories. But Iowa's just, I don't know. I, 
I'll say it because that's just where we're from, John, but Iowa's just different. It's a smaller, the state population obviously is smaller than many, but it was just far more friendly, like, oh, shucks, hey, nice to meet you. The person sitting next to you would help. Hey, if your car doesn't go, they'd probably go get something for you to help you out. It's just the way Iowa was. And of course, you would have all the stories and many people have a story of walking through, you know, the parking lot before games and having knowing nobody other than we have no connection other than we wear the same, have the same affinity for the same football team and someone would invite you in, come on in, have a drink, have some food, sit down and talk to us. Never met them before. You just sit there and become fast friends for an hour before an Iowa, hopefully a good old fashioned Iowa rump kicking as Hayden Fry would call it. It just, yeah. You've got, I mean, you've got more stories like that that I'm sure you could tell, you know, specifically one with a favorite Hawkeye, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of them. And, you know, I, I know I, we've lived in Illinois. I've lived in Oklahoma. I've lived a lot, lived in a lot of places. And, and there's nice people everywhere you go. But to me, the, the difference for me, the Iowa that I still carry with me is that kind of chip on your shoulder flyover country thing for me that oh you're just from Iowa or you're just from a little small town or this that and the other and that that's always fueled me and I think I can't be alone in that and part of me wonders if why the the fry Hawkeye hysteria was so crazy in addition to not having success for so long was that other people felt that way too yeah that that, that you know, that Hayden Fry was our champion. He was the, he was our representative walking out into the gladiator space and, and he was the one fighting for us when we, you know, we, we couldn't play and do those things. But yeah, I mean, there, there was a, there was another year. Well, actually, I think it was that same year in 1985 was the Northern Illinois game. Let me go pull up the uh, historical scores here just to make sure I'm not missing. I'm going to, yeah, it was Northern Illinois. It was September 21st and it was rainy. It was miserable, mist, and it was another day that I had gone to the stadium uh, early with mom, and I was just walking around. You know, fans were coming in, filling in the space, and I'd like to, I like to go out there and watch Iowa warm up, so I'm just kind of standing there. It was in the north end zone at this point in time, and there was a man standing there, and I was standing by him and he, he just started talking to me and I started talking to him and we started talking about football and, and, you know, I've always been a talker even back then. So I said, well, where are you from? He said, I'm from back East. I'm here to, to watch my boys play. And I'm like, Hmm, wonder who he's talking about. I'm like your boys. He's like, yeah, Ronnie and Kevin. And he was talking about Ronnie Harmon and Kevin Harmon. And, you know, 1985 Ronnie Harmon, <laughs> pretty big stuff. And I said, wow, I was just kind of starstruck. And he's like, Hey, after the game, come up to, you know, the, what was it, Jay, the Southeast corner, South, Southeast corner, yeah. South, the Southeast uh, players uh, locker room exit. And I'll introduce you to him. I'm like, giddy up. You dang right. I will. And I did. And he saw me. He's like, Hey John, come here, come here. And he introduced me to, to his sons, to Ronnie and to Kevin. And of course, um, I was on cloud nine. Uh, that was, that was an amazing experience. And then of course, you know, uh, Marv cook came out of the locker room, went over and slapped five with Marv. And, uh, you know, Ronnie Harmon was a bigger deal than Marv cook to me at that point in time, but just being honest, 
but just I mean so many of those things so many of those little brushes with well that we revered rightly or wrongly and, and Hayden uh, you know those are Hayden's Hayden's kids um, think about the fact of who were the biggest coaches at the time and you know in the early 80s to mid 80s John who were some of the other big coaches Osborne. Who, were the, who were the biggest coaches you got Tom Osborne Barry Switzer yeah. When you Osborne think of those guys, were, were, if were you big. were to see them, what's your vision of those guys? Are they going to come over? Hey, John, good to see you. Want to get a drink? Are they going to be really steely? You know, kind of a steely, stoic. Uh, yeah. I don't know. No. In, in the situation, the setting are all different. But, I, you know, Hayden, Hayden. He wasn't. He seemingly had time for everybody. Every, he, that's every what I'm getting at, yeah. Cause just because it's old down-home Texas, you know? Yeah. What did you, ever, did you ever have any interactions with Hayden? Yeah, I remember one. I wrote it down. I mean, wrote it down. I mean, I remember it, but I wrote it down just so I could try to remember everything. I don't know. Growing in West Branch, you know, Marv, Marv Cook obviously graduated in 84, but one of his classmates was Brad Bartelt. And for some reason, Brad Bartelt sort of befriended, sort of wanted to mentor a little fellow like me when I was 10. And one Yeah, Saturday, by the way, it used to piss me off. It used <laughs> to piss me off how those guys – we're like, you had a better relationship with those guys than I did. And then later in life, when you were like in your twenties, yeah, we're out golfing at West branch and they, and Marvin, those guys see you and they're, there's some Iowa football players there and like, Hey Jay, you want to go play with us? Yeah. Like, Son of a <laughs> yeah. And I saw you know, a different story on that one. Chuck Hartley was, was one of those guys out there playing. Didn't have any woods in his bag, only irons. Don't know why. I mean, you know Chuck pretty well now. I mean, you've got to know him a little bit through the years, I should say. Lives out in Des Moines. But he would just bomb it with irons just as far as anybody with their driver. So don't and need no drivers at this track. And he was fine in the fairway. But getting back to the Brad Bartelt story, he asked Mom, and hey, we're going to go to a movie today. Bob, Bob Peake, who was a year younger than Brad and Marv, hey, we're going to go to a movie today, and can you come along? Yeah. They take me to a movie called Uncommon Valor. I'm 10 years old, and they're taking me to Randall T Tex Cobb's Uncommon Valor movie, which, it, kids, I'm going to tell you, it's, a, it's not exactly a clean movie. Well, at, least it wasn't, at least it wasn't Porky's. Was it Porky's? But they take me to Uncommon Common Valor. We're at the old Capitol Theater, which mm -hmm. people, kids today don't even know that's a mall. Uh, and they show me the finer art of throwing juju bees at the, at the screen. I learned that that day to throw things at the screen during movies and – yeah, that got me in trouble later, but we got done. That was on the upper level, and if you remember, right across from that, if you look out the door, there was a rest, a fast food restaurant. John, remember what it was on the top what, level? It wasn't, was it Arby's or Orange Julius? It was Julius? Arby's. Yeah. And everywhere on the wall in Arby's, there were, you know, what we know now as, you know, aerial shots of Kinnick, or they took out uh, headlines from newspapers from Rose Bowls and mm -hmm. this and this and this. Now, this was in 1983. We get our food, and then we turn the corner, and back in the corner seating, back in the, I wouldn't call it a dark corner, but back by himself was Coach Fry. And in we the sat Arby's. At in Arby's the in the old Capitol Mall in 1983. Now, of course, now you can't get away with that because everybody would be, hey, somebody's here, somebody's there. They'd let somebody know, and then you just get, uh, probably get swallowed for pictures and bothered which I'm sure he was through the years, Sean. But so we go, we sit down, and of course we're like, "That's Aiden Fry!" Oh my gosh! And he, 
he addressed us. He said, hey, boys, how are you? <laughs> right? And I'm 10, and we, we start sitting down and, and just, just sitting there. He's eating his roast beef sandwich. He didn't take any pictures. We asked, of course, when you're in Pictures, then, yeah. Definitely. We asked for an autograph. That was the greatest thing in the world. Of course, John, you, you could get your autographs and put it on your wall covering with all the college basketball stuff in your bedroom. But we would get autographs, and then we'd put it in our box. You know, at home, you'd yeah. save it forever, which I'm sure it's somewhere. But it was just, what'd you get from that? Just pure joy. You don't, oh, yeah. And you would remember it forever. Now you take a picture. Hey, I got a picture. Two days later, I forgot it. But I got an autograph on an Arby's napkin. And he said, I remember this very, very vividly. He told us, we started talking about Hawks and stuff. He said, boys, I just want the Hawks to be in the Rose Bowl every season. You guys want it too, right? And that was it. Because nobody, but nobody loved Iowa more or the football program more than John Hayden Fry, brother. Seriously, nobody wanted Iowa to do better in football than him. And he was the head coach. Yeah, I, I, um, I never got to meet him as a kid. He was a legend in my mind. Almost like not a real person. Almost just a movie character that I saw both times a year on TV. Or not even following me back then. And then I moved away. I went to college and then moved to Kansas City in the mid 90s and late 90s really started to, you know, figure out this internet thing. And I remember being about 10 of my friends every week. Yeah, our computer was in Kansas City. You find the internet address. It might have been on Mark Cuban's broadcast.com network, actually. And we listened to the Hayden Fry Collins show. And we just sit around, you know, grill out, crack open a few sodies, and sit there and listen. And of course, Tommy from Des Moines was a regular um, caller into that show. And Tommy from Des Moines passed away this month, as did Bump Elliott, the guy that hired Hayden Fry this month. Um, for you small town people who, you know, know about the rule of threes. Um, and I still never met him. And then I start Hawkeye Nation. And I'm over there doing, you know, media events and things like that. And, and I just missed an elevator ride with him one time. But then the next week he was also there. And I was on the same elevator as Hayden Fry. And it was the security person that punches the buttons to go to the different floors. It was me, Hayden Fry, and somebody else. And I have no idea who that someone else was because they weren't Hayden Fry. And Hayden was just to my left. <laughs> and you know me, Jay. I mean, there's not, there's not a, I can talk to anyone. You and I, you're the same way. We can make small talk with anyone. And I started to say something, but I stopped myself. And I remember this. I thought, I just want to leave Hayden Fry as the legend. I don't want to talk with him and bring him down onto the same ground that I am. I, I don't want to know him as a human being. I just want to remember him and revere him as Hayden Fry. So I didn't say anything. And I regretted it. I regretted it later. I'm like, dude, you should have just introduced yourself and shook the man's hand. He's meant so much to your life. Well, I was very fortunate several years later. Um, Rick Klatt, who was then working in the Iowa Athletic Department um, in the marketing division, it was one of the early Fry Fests. Can't remember if it was the first or maybe it was the second. He invited me 
along with uh, John Campbell, then of KCRG, now who still does some work for them, to be the MC slash moderators of a roundtable that included Hayden Fry, Jim Zobel, Bob Brooks, all these legends of Iowa media. And they asked me and John Campbell to, to MC that. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So we get there, I get there and they usher me back into, you know, I guess it would have substituted for the green room that day. And of course I was the first one there because you know, I'm never late A and B, I'm not gonna be late for something like that. So I'm just kind of hanging out and I hear some loud voices in the hallway and I could hear somebody spinning a story and I knew right then who it was. It was Hayden Fry and they opened the door, walk in and all the other guys are already around him and Hayden knew every single one of those guys, but he didn't, I was the only person in the room that he didn't know. And he walked up to me and he said, young man, you must be John. They told me a lot about you. Pleasure to meet you. And he shook my hand with one of his hands and he put his other hand on top of the hand. And, uh, I said, yes, sir. I'm honored to meet you and honored to be here. And he made some kind of joke about, you know, uh, I'm not a judge, so there shouldn't be any honor involved. But and he starts laughing and he just kind of walked off. And, and I got a chance to, to help preside over that, that setting and that event. And I met Hayden Fry and shook, he shook my hand and he looked me in the eye and he made a little quip and I will never forget that. And I'm so glad I had that opportunity. And that was the one and only time I ever spoke with him. Never heard that before today. Yep. Yep. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. You know, I just been really fortunate to have um, a lot of moments like that, whether it's involved with Hayden and, and things of that nature. So um, what year was that, John? I'm sure I could search my emails and find it. I'm, wanting to guess somewhere around 2010 okay yeah 2010 maybe 2000 it probably was 2010 um that was a year that um i don't know jay i couldn't find it i i, I searched but i i don't know what year it was I, I should remember that but so many of those opportunities um happen that i can't parse them out but i, I certainly remember what the event was and, and what hayden said you didn't, but, a, didn't get a selfie, I presume. No, no. <laughs> I, I think I may have had an iPhone at that time. But it's just, to me, and, and I've been really bad at that through the years. Um, even, you know, once I've had smartphones. I mean, I took pictures when I was at the Rose Bowl, and I, I got a selfie in front of that sign. I, I've not ignored it entirely. Right. But I've not done it. But I, part of me prefers to view and remember the story through the prism of my memory. Even though as fallible as memory can be, there are certain things that I just don't forget. There are certain conversations that we don't forget, and you, you, you are even better at it than I am. I kind of like having that, that memory that has that's a, maybe a touch cloudy, um, not as vivid as a photo would be, but a photo doesn't convey the emotion that a memory does at least to me. So, um, Hayden, it was, uh, yeah, thank you. Good dude. Um, you know, you and I had a couple of opportunities as we wind this up. Yeah. 
to do some fun things together. Uh, the thing that stands out to me the most, and I've told this story before, it was the Capital One Bowl. <laughs> and, you know, late in the games, they allowed media to go down in the field, and we went down in the field, and, and, and we were working that together for Hawkeye Nation. You had a Hawkeye Nation press pass, and we were working that together, and we were standing down in the end zone, um, when LSU scored their go-ahead touchdown was it, with less than a minute left or something like that. Yeah, and I was standing next to old Brooksy, and he says, oh, darn. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds just like what Bob would say. Yeah. And um, I, I may have taken creative license with this story through the years, but since you're here with me now, we need to be um, – I don't. I'd say 100% honest. Let's just be. Uh, let's just get, get the. Close. Let's get the. Let's get the facts right. Yeah. I, I may have told the story once upon a time that I looked at you and said something, but it was actually you looking at me, and you said, "Well, let's go down to the other end zone and watch the Hawks pull out a miracle." So I would say I was less than confident. And as you and I are walking to the other end, we're walking behind the Iowa bench in between the stands and the Iowa bench. We're on the field. We heard a few words that we would not want to repeat on a family program. Uh, Mr. Roth was less than happy. Uh, there were helmets that were being smashed against the ground by that famed defensive line. They were pissed. They felt like they let the team down. And we walked right along at a good brisk pace because had we lingered, Sheriff Ron would have told us to get the heck out of there. And then we walked down to the far end zone, which would become the famous end zone. We were standing on what, about the five-yard line, the goal line, something like that. Well, before that, we stopped behind and we watched the Bellius return. Yes. So what, we saw the Walner Bellius return. And then I turned around and someone said, said my name and it was – uh, West Branch former player Ryan Dietz was a walk-on at Iowa. Now he wasn't dressed, but he got to travel and he had his camo camo cargos on because that's what kids wore in 2005. <laughs> camo cargos with their Iowa with their foot, uh, jersey on, and yeah, then you, we looked at each other and said, "We better get down there because we just better get down there to see it." And we got into that corner and we were at about the five, and then we just kept, I I just kept going to the other to the actual corner where the catch happened but so we were in the corner john because that's where all the iowa media had congregated in that corner yeah i actually was i i didn't make it over to that corner where um warren holloway would cross i was on the opposite side of the field and i actually was re I, I thought you were with me but this is where memory can sometimes get cloudy but i do know someone who was right to my right and that person was bob bowlesby yeah and I remember making small talk with him. And I remember making some small talk and I wasn't looking at the field, but I heard a murmur arise from the crowd as the, to where I'm like, hey, something's going on. So I turned back to look at the field and I had not realized the clock is not stopping. The game's gonna end on this play. <laughs> and I look at the field, I see people running, and then I look up and I see the ball in the air at least halfway to Holloway. And I follow the track of the ball. I see Holloway catch it. I see him go into the end zone. 
and I see the place turn into an absolute madhouse. Feel the place turn into an absolute madhouse. And then I'm nearly tackled. And I look over and it's Bob Bowlesby who's got me, um, who's got me in a, uh, in a bear hug <laughs> and is jumping up and down. So I, I start jumping up and down and I just, you know, probably I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And then I look over and I see, you know, former Iowa coach Eric Johnson with his hands on his head. Um, just like, oh, my OMG, OMG. I see co Iowa coaches jumping up and down like little kids. I see all the players going and running. What did you, what, what, what did you see from all that? Well, you know, first preface it all by saying normally a media members, you're not really celebrating because you're, you know, you keep it professional and it's just one of those things you don't do. Yeah, bro. I was just keeping it real. I know. But for that, that's why I'm saying it is at that moment, those rules get thrown out the window. Now I'm on the opposite side. I'm in the corner. Now people will say, Oh yeah, you were, well, I tell you what, you go back and watch the film, watch the melee at the end. And then you can watch a guy with, his cargo shorts and flip flops with the uh, gold polo and the checkerboard collar. John had just, you just given us these shirts to wear for that game. The Hawkeye nation. Uniform. Uh, polos. Gave me your uniform. Yeah. Gave me my uniform to wear. And then I could see the players jumping on in the end zone right in front of me, piling up on, on uh, Holloway and on Ed Hinkle and everybody just running there. Of course, the players that weren't, dressed for the game they'd have pads on were the first ones to get there but then it just yeah you were right a melee ensued and then the memory i have of you john it wasn't from me physically seeing it it was from watching the official iowa video later as i'm in shields in coralville they're showing it the official iowa bowl game video later on at the end of it and andy garman that's right. He's in Des Moines or was in Des Moines. Yeah, he, he, he retired from, um, from sports casting. Yeah, but he was there covering it. And he, you and him were coming out on the field right about the 5-10 yard line on the Iowa side, uh, but on the field, walking out. And you said you saw coaches with their hands on their head. Yeah. Well, in the official Iowa video, you, John, had your one hand on your head saying, oh, my gosh and the camera, you're right in the middle of the shot, then it pans over to the players, and I've got hands on my head saying something that I wish I would, <laughs> mouthing a word that I couldn't believe I would have said at that point. But in that moment, I evidently, uh, excitement got the better part of me, and I said, holy, sh you know what? And I'm on you know, the official Iowa video, we are on it. So we can say for one, one moment, we have our memories in our mind, John, but it's always captured. We've got video to prove the play, but then if you get the official Iowa video of it, we are there and we're in the moment and how, you can't going back to the 1981. It's all scripted up to that moment. You can't, you can't script it to that moment. At that point, that was, I, I can say that was the high point of my Hawkeye fandom was that day. Yes, I agree. Um, I mean, beat Nick Bell score, you know, rushing for 230 and scoring, four touchdowns at Illinois and a 54-28 victory was, was up there too. But no, no doubt that this one still to this day is probably number one. Yeah. 
Hayden Fry was a godfather. Um, yeah. We wouldn't have been able to experience these uh, memories as adults were not for, for him. So, um, you know, I, I said these things in another podcast. I'll say them again now that you're on here. You know, I owe you a, a deep level of gratitude for your help in helping me start this, helping me get the word out, helping me build this. You were there with me um, in, the, in the wee hours of the dark mornings as we trekked over to Iowa City with uh, a few thousand um, single pamphlet flyers in tow it's on one side it had the roster of the Iowa football team on the other side said hey please visit HawkeyeNation.com this was back in the 2001 season and you were there handing these things out right there with me um, so you know the the, the success of this site um, and, and how it became aware of people you were a part of that story and I greatly appreciate that and um, I just appreciate you being along for the ride well thanks John two things with that one is taking away the Hawkeye Nation portion of it, being a fan, myself and many people, for lack of a better way of saying it, owe a debt of gratitude to you, guys like you and Tom Kakert and Josh Clark and, and certainly Rob Howe uh, for the, I mean, newspapers are one, print media is, is a wonderful thing to pick it up and read things, but the internet was instant. The gratification that you get instantly from stories, from things, and just to see how it came from the ground level for you, and you've already told the story of the emails, and you've told that story, which I still giggle at, and some of the other inside stories that you won't share that you've shared with me that we'll always have. But these people, I say it like this, is that these people knew you as John Miller from Hawkeye Nation. I know you as my brother and my friend and, and someone who's been very successful and you know lived a lot of the dreams that I wanted to live but I got to live them through you. And, and we're so blessed to have parents that gave us that guidance and got us to that point. And we're all, thanks for Hawk, all the stuff that you did for Hawkeye, but more importantly, thanks for being my brother and letting me be a part of it. Well, thank you, Jay. I'm glad that we were able to, uh, we, were, we were able to share that together. You never know what, what roads there will be um, in the future. And I appreciate you always being there for me during some of the darkest and uh, rough periods of my life as well. So. Um, I don't know what else to add beyond that. Um, this will be uh, the last um, thank you and farewell podcast. I will have one more that I will do the instant reaction following the Iowa Bowl game against USC. And also I will be doing a podcast, uh, an introduction podcast with Andrew Downs, who's going to be doing some things for Hawkeye Nation. We'll talk about that, but um, you were here at the last, Jay, and you were there at the first, and it's only fitting you were here uh, at the end of this chapter. So thank you. And thanks to all of you out there, once again, for uh, listening to all these podcasts. I, I'm certain that much of this has been rather self-gratuitous, but um, this is kind of the way I wanted to, to end it. And uh, thanks for affording me your ears and the opportunity, as always. Take care. And now it's our family-friendly flooring sale. Save up to $1,000 and take advantage of our 24-month special financing on our stain-resistant carpet and stylish luxury vinyl at Flooring America. Sale ends soon, so come in today.